to another episode of Life Authentic with Christy and Beth. Thank you all so much for joining us today. As you've probably already figured out, our number one goal with this podcast is to really just inspire others to live a happier, more fulfilled life of purpose. And I know with this next story, you are going to feel that, and I know it's going to touch you like it has us. We have with us today a very special friend and guest, Mr. Paul Stone. We have known him since... Actually, I can't remember not knowing him, I guess, since he was born. And he's been a close friend of the family for a long time. And he's got just a beautiful story of redemption and recovery that he's going to share with you all today. And I know it's going to touch your hearts. Paul, I'm so happy you're here. We're so excited to have you today. I'm so excited to be here. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in... At least three years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been on the West Coast for about three years, so... I don't think I've seen anybody in three years, hardly, uh, now on this you're side of the map. Back here in Georgia, yeah. good old Georgia. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to see you. But we've known you how long since we were born? Yeah, I feel like I've known Paul since I was born. I don't ever remember not knowing you. Mm-hmm. I don't Same. either. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Known you guys since, uh, since I can remember, for yeah. sure. I remember when we were kids. Y'all would come over and we would have like dinner and movie night. And I remember I was the oldest, so I would put together like these little crafts. I don't know if y'all remember this, but I do. Like we would do, we would like sit, I would make y'all sit in the floor and do all kinds of little crafts and stuff. We had so much fun. Yeah. I remember, I remember Back to the Future very vividly. Yeah. Um, seeing that with you guys. That was, that was... I remember standing in a dark bathroom and doing the thing where you take certs, is it? Yeah. And if you're in the dark, you can bite the cert. Oh, the wintergreen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember doing that with y'all for whatever reason. I remember reason. that as well, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, life uh, Life was really simple back then. It was. It was. Yeah. We've all had a lot that has happened since those days, for sure. Definitely. A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just so excited. I've been wanting to, Beth and I have talked, we've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while and just let you kind of tell your story and share because you have such um, an awesome, just beautiful story of really redemption. And I mean, you've been to some really low places and today you're just like awesome. You just got back from vacation with your kids, right? Yes. Uh, so, so I'm just I'm just to, excited to to hear about it and share with our listeners because I know I know it's really going to touch them. It's such a such a great. Well, I'll, I'll get story. right into it. Yes. Um, so if you were to ask me who I am and what I am, uh, evidently I'm a crier, uh, <laughs> but I am a father. I'm a father, and yeah. um, and I'm a father in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Um, and what that means to me is I should start really with the beginning. Uh, June 24th of 2019, uh, I stood before a judge with my ex-wife and um, a courtroom filled with uh, people from our childhood, uh, people from the church organization I grew up in, people that you know. And everyone was there in solidarity kind of to make it clear that I was no longer a valuable part of my children's lives. And uh, at the time, I thought that they were all against me. And I thought that this whole process was against me and that this was um, so wrong what was being done to me. And 
uh, the judge looked at me. His name was Judge Etheridge, and a man I had a lot of lot of respect for. Uh, he had presided presided over my divorce and my original custody hearing. He looked at me and he said, "Paul," he said, "I cannot do anything." Uh, to change you as an individual. He said, but I can do something to change the course of your children's lives. And he said to me, Paul, you're no good for your children and you're no good for yourself. And he said, I'm going to take your children out of your life. And that was the most pivotal moment, I guess, in my entire existence. Um, I, ever since I was, a, you know, I got married when I was 18 years old, I uh, had little Paul uh, by the time I was 19 years old. And from that point forward, um, my, my existence was, I was a father, I was a provider, I was a husband. And, um, you know, lingering in my DNA or in my uh, fate or whatever you want to call it, there was this alcoholic person that began to manifest um, the, you know, just the, the troubles of life, you know, the, the struggles of, of being a sole provider. Uh, I began to lean on uh, very quietly on alcohol. It's really young too. I mean, when you think about getting married and having at eighteen, and then having your first kid at nineteen, that's yeah. a lot of pressure for yeah. anyone, much less a, a teenager. And I didn't have a chance to even grow up. You know, I I, I left home when I was fifteen years old, and uh, was married by the time I was eighteen. So, um, so then you know, I was able to be a closet alcoholic for you know like 20 years. Uh, I didn't bring alcohol in my home and I thought that if I if I drunk my booze in my truck um, in the driveway uh, closest to the far side where there were no windows that no one would see or know or hear or find out that I was an alcoholic. Um, and I found out from my daughter Ashley recently that she could see me from her window. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How old is Ashley now? Uh, she's sorry. It's okay. She, um, I told you earlier, we were joking. I was, when I was getting ready this morning and putting on my makeup, I was like, I know I should put on waterproof mascara. Yeah, she turned 18, uh, while we were in Outer Banks. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful little birthday. <laughs> That's how we get past this tear. But she told me she, she could see me from her window. And, you know, for all of these years, um, I thought that I had hidden my alcoholism, right? And to see it from her perspective um, was just gripping, to say mm -hmm. the least. Um, mm -hmm. And to know that I had not hidden uh, as well as I thought that I had. But uh, to circle back to this day in court, um, you know, I left that courthouse that day. Um, and I was, um, I had a shaved head. Uh, I was a, uh, uh, in the throes of meth addiction and alcoholism, and I went to court as my own lawyer that day. Melinda had a lawyer, uh, my ex-wife had a lawyer, um, and I thought I could represent myself well in that condition, mm. if you can imagine a, a, a skinned head meth addict. Wait, why did you have a skinned head? Did you just do that Little on your Paul own? Paul was cutting my hair, and, and it just turned out that way, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, there's more to the story of me and little Paul being together as well, but I'll get into that in a moment, I guess. But so, so then from there, um, I kind of... Uh, in this pitiful state, uh, stumbled around for the next 10 days trying to figure out how to not want to just die. And um, I finally, someone heard um, 
my cry, which was a lot of it was on, I was on Facebook live and just like, look, here's the, I was showing videos of, of the track marks in my arms saying here, I was shooting up meth yesterday. Somebody please get me to rehab is how mm -hmm. bad I was. Right. And I, I was so twisted. I couldn't figure out how to get into rehab. Right. I, I knew, I knew there was a process you call, you do intake, you know, you, you do whatever, but I, I tried several times and I was like, I, I couldn't do it. So finally, um, I got to a little rehab called Black Bear Lodge in uh, the mountains of North Georgia. And I spent 40 days there in that rehab. And while I was now, there, it, not to interrupt you, but was that your first that, so that was your first time ever in any sort of a rehab this or was actually time, this was my second time. Okay. Uh, my first time was right before, um, my, I got divorced. I went to rehab, uh, and ended up in Las Vegas in a place called desert hope. Okay. Um, got out of rehab and didn't have it, didn't have any clue what sobriety was about. Yeah. Um, and two days later, my wife, uh, said she wanted a divorce and I thought, well, that's mm -hmm. definitely um, a good reason for me to go ahead and drink again, because this is when people drink, right? Yeah. Uh, or is what I thought. Yeah. And, uh, and that turned into two years of drinking. Um, and, uh, along the way I became a meth addict. Uh, I met someone at Lake Lanier, um, that became kind of a, a partner in, in, uh, like, you know, relationship wise and also in my drug use. Mm -hmm. And, um, she seemed to be able to go about life in a normal manner using drugs. And me, I just ran it into the ground. Um, you know, within two years, everything was upside down and was a disaster. And I was being barred from my children's lives at yeah. that point. Um, so, yeah, so that's that was my first experience. I knew I had a problem uh, back in 2017. And I think that that was just really the beginning of the end for my relationship with my wife. Um, it was like I had drug her through 20 years of ups and downs and, um, you know, all of the ridiculous things that come along with being, um, a total, you know, uh, fall, you know, rock bottom alcoholic. Yeah. She had experienced that firsthand. Um, so, you know, I don't blame her for wanting to divorce me two days after rehab. I think she should have probably done it seven years prior. Um, you know, but she hung in there with me. So, um, you know, so, so long story short, I, I, I ended up in this rehab. Uh, I did 40 days there and they suggested that I go to a long-term program in San Diego, California. And all of my life, for some reason, I had felt drawn to the state of California. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I can tell now why, because it is my home. Yeah. Um, and um, my people are there, you know, and yeah. I have people here, but, you know, my recovery people, my recovery, fam recovery family is there. Um, so when they said California, something in me was like, this is where you're supposed to be. And I thought, well, no, I've got to be back here. I've got to, I've got to go back and get the kids back, right? Mm -hmm. The judge said no contact. He's like, come back here. He said, come back here when you can prove to me that you have some sobriety. Come back here with some with some facts, right? Mm -hmm. Don't come back here and say, I want my kids back. So in my mind, that meant I'll come back with 90 days sober and I'll come back with a certificate from a rehab and the judge is gonna say, sure, go ahead, get your kids back, right? Yeah. Well, that wasn't what God had in store. Um, I got through California um, and I was supposed to be going to an all men's program in Oceanside, California. And I ended up, um, we, as we were traveling along, I passed, um, the city of Oceanside and as a, this guy picked me up from the airport and I thought, well, there goes Oceanside. What is this? And I looked at him, I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to Orange County. And I was like, well, 
I'm supposed to be in San Diego County. Like, what's going on? So he says, well, we're going to take you to a, um, a co-ed program, and uh, you'll like it there. There's there's girls there. And I was like, I don't want to be around women, yeah. right? I don't want to <laughs> be isolated, right? Because right. I knew what kind of a disaster I was and that that would probably sprout some more disaster. Yeah. Well, um, you know, to, to not go into the minutia of all of that, finally, I demanded that I end up back in this program in Oceanside that was all men. And... Um, I strung together 108 days of sobriety, and I relapsed. And within eight hours of relapsing, I put myself back into rehab because I knew where it was going to go. Yeah. And um, I put together another 104 days of sobriety, and then I traveled back here to Georgia um, to visit with my son. And I was thinking at the time, I'm going to get Paul back to California with me, and I'm going to help him get sober. Well, on my way, in my na- naivety. Um, I thought, well, I've only had one drink in 208 days now, and so I might as well have a drink in the Washington, D.C. airport uh, at my layover because that's going to help me feel good on my flight back to Georgia. Yeah. And um, as I went to board the plane, there was like two minutes left, and I looked down, and the name of this drink is uh, Raging Bitch. And I thought, that's not a good sign, Paul. But I thought, well, it's twelve point nine percent alcohol, so that's 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 what I want, right? Yeah. So, um, so I had that drink, and what that turned into was a forty-two day long relapse of drinking, uh, smoking weed, and traveling across the United States with my son, uh, who was eighteen at the time, and then ending up in the Tijuana jail in Tijuana, Mexico. Oh my um, gosh! Sitting next to my son. And um, having been jumped and roughed up by the police multiple times, the, the Mexican police, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they seized our vehicle, um, took our money, and uh, kept us in there for about 16 hours and uh, released us with $60 and said, we're keeping your car, keeping the rest of your money, figure it out. And wow. here we are. We're in Tijuana, Mexico, on foot. Uh, no cell service. And, uh, that was a great dad moment for you, Paul. <laughs> great parenting. See, the judge wasn't wrong, right? So great parenting, right? So I'm sitting in this Tijuana jail, and I told Paul, I said, listen, buddy, I don't know what you want to do when we get out of here, but I know what I want to do. I want to get back to my AA people. I want to get into treatment, and I want to, I want. I can't live this life. Obviously, I don't have... Um, the ability to drink like I used to, you know, one drink at the Washington DC airport ends me up, you know, ends me, gets me driving across the country and then up in the Tijuana jail in Mexico with my my 18 year old son. I remember seeing like, this just came back to me. I remember seeing a Facebook post and I literally thought it was like a joke. You said something about in Tijuana on foot. And that just hit me that I saw that Facebook post. That is when you were actually into that was a reality. That was reality. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was reality. Uh, as as bizarre and surreal mm. uh, and uh, as much of a caricature I, as I have made out of myself in in some of these situations, that was real. Um, so so Paul agreed. He said, "Dad, I I don't want to live like this anymore because little Paul." Um, without telling his story, he, he, his name is Paul Stone, right? It runs deep in the family. My dad was an alcoholic. He died in alcoholism. Um, I am, am an alcoholic to this day. And uh, so when we were able to get to a Marriott hotel, uh, a valet said, hey, I'll make a phone call for you and called my now fiance, Diana. Um, 
And uh, she said, I'll come get you in Mexico. And so we're engaged now. And um, Yeah, that's I'm going to say that's a woman you want to marry. If she'll come to Tijuana and, <laughs> and pick you up. So we got out of Mexico, and little Paul and I checked into a... Um, it's kind of a, a, a nonprofit charity type detox because my insurance, I couldn't get any, any, uh, any rehabs. We had this huge deductible. Well, a friend of mine uh, helped us get into a rehab that accepted our deductible. Me and Paul did 40 days in treatment um, in uh, Lake Elsinore, California. And this was pre-pandemic. Um, we went into rehab February of 2020, and it was... Um, it was like, you know, it was normal. The world was normal. And then they yeah. started telling us while we were in rehab, hey, the, it, everything's going on lockdown, this pandemic's coming. And I thought they're just saying all these things to scare us. This is some weird rehab tactic, right? Yeah. So, but what I figured out while I was in this rehab was that I didn't care what happened. I was going to work a 12-step recovery program and I was going to work it to the fullest and I was going to get sober and I was going to do whatever it took to do what all these other people in these other 12-step programs um, had done with their life, which was recover, right? Something I had not done yet. Yeah. And uh, and so I did that. I got out and I, there were no meetings, no 12-step meetings. It was all Zoom. And um, I, I met a sponsor on Zoom. I worked the steps on Zoom, uh, just screen to screen. I uh, did my little prayers on my knees in my a little space, and he did his prayers. And like, you know, there's a whole process to 12 steps that I won't get into. But it was it worked because here I am today, 843 days. Wow. <laughs> you know, clean and sober. Yeah. And so then, you know, that in itself is a huge accomplishment, right? It's it's something that I did a little bit of work and I, I hit a cruising altitude and then the work started working for me. Um, along the way, um, at two years and one week to the day, I was able to um, reunite with my, my kids. Um, Ashley or Emily and, and Noah. Uh, Ashley was still kind of out there. Uh, she was she was waiting to see who Dad really was. Yeah. Um, so now Ashley's your second oldest, right? Ash, Ashley is my oldest. Oh yeah, second oldest. Yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah. Paul is my oldest. oldest yeah. Daughter, yeah. 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 Um, so I was reunited with Emily and Noah, and um, their mother pulled up to a hotel I was at in North Carolina, and uh, you know, as, as the car is coming to a stop, Emily jumps out and just runs to me and embraces me. This is our first contact in two years and seven days, and it was just as, as real. You know, all that time I was afraid. You know, can you imagine being separated from your kids, not even being able to hear their voice? Um, you know. So all that time I was thinking, you know, she's hating me. She's um, she's growing up without me. Noah's growing up without me. What am I going to do? I'm never going to get back. And then all of a sudden I realized that really um, there's this there's this little um, paragraph in a book that I, I kind of model my life after. It's called The Promises. And it says that we will, uh, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. <laughs> that... Um, you know, these things will begin to manifest in our lives. And um, and I heard that on a beach in Orange County when I had 90 days sober. I heard the promises for the first time. And I'm watching the sun go down and I'm hearing all these different people share at a, um, at a meeting. And I thought, 
to myself for a moment, these things will never happen in my life. I'll never see my kids again. I'm in California. I'm 3,000 miles away from them. You know, I'm thinking all these catastrophic things, right? And then it dawned on me. If it's happening for them, it'll happen for me. And, and I thought, well, how, how can I do that? And I thought, well, just do what they do, right? And, and stay sober, work a program, get a sponsor, do this for real. And I got my kids back in my life, right? Emily and Noah. And, and so was, how long did so you went two years without two years and one week to, to the day them. without hearing their voice or seeing wow. them. And that may seem a little bit extreme. Like why did their mother not allow them to talk to me? Right. Cause she had the ability to let them talk to me. But, um, the wreckage that I left in their lives and in her life and in, 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 in my own life, um, I think speaks to the fact that that's the way that it had to be uh, because I had left so much destruction that, you know, why would you trust this man again? Why would you um, uh, trust your father again, you know? And yeah. for those two years, um, you know, I, I started out on foot um, and on a bicycle and on a train and, um, you know, going to work in Orange County, you know, working at a restaurant and never had done anything other than my little construction business all of my life. And I just had faith that if I just kept working, kept moving and making these little incremental changes in my life, that the things that I dreamed of, which was really just to be back with my kids again, were going to, to come true and come come to fruition in my life and they did um so to fast forward just a little bit from the time that i was reunited with emily and noah um i was at work and uh i was just doing my thing you know and i got a little little message on my phone i looked down and it's a hey and a smiley face and i, and I looked up and it said ashley stone mm. <laughs> God. you know and to me that I had to read it again. I thought, Ashley Stone, there's no way. This is a different Ashley Stone. And it wasn't. It was my Ashley Stone. And, you know, that was the beginning of um, a long, you know, uh, uh, the beginning of our relationship again. We've been apart for four years um, before the custody hearing, before the divorce, uh, before all that. Ashley told me, Dad, I don't want to be in your life. Um, I took her to Puerto Rico with me and, um, you know, I thought where well, I told her in, in advance, I'm like, we're going on vacation. I'm going to drink. I'm going to, you know, this is what you do on vacation. And, you know, there were other adults there that weren't drinking. And I thought, well, this is okay. And it wasn't okay. I was, I was, um, a terrible parent, you know, and I let her down. I got her to Puerto Rico and I acted like a, um, a moron, you know, and that wasn't what she needed for a dad. And she made that healthy decision for herself at 14 years old that she wasn't going to be in my life. And, so for right at four years, she was out of my life um, by her own choosing. And so anyhow, um, she and I reunited and we texted every day. We messaged each other every day. You know, we just chit chat about whatever, nothing, you know, right? And rebuild a relationship yeah. with one another. And um, we just celebrated her 18th birthday um, out on the beach in Outer Banks, North Carolina. Uh, and, you know, for me, I... At the beginning of what was the worst part of my existence ever, which was losing my children, you know, um, losing everything, losing my business, you know, just destroying everything. Uh, I, I was with an individual that I uh, used drugs and alcohol with, and I told this, this I told her, I said, uh, she asked me if you could wish for anything, uh, what would it be? 
and we were just kind of falling asleep. This was pillow talk, and I, I said to her, I wish by the time I was, <laughs> I wish by the time that I was 40 years old, which I was 37 at the time, I said, I wish and I, I hope, and it would be a dream if I could be sober and if I could be back with my kids and if we could have a healthy and positive relationship with one another. And I just turned 40 in December. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a relationship with my kids that is beautiful. Um, it's, it's like, I mean, my ki- me and the kids are like, we're like best friends. We're like father and son and daughter and, you know, all that bundled up in one. You know, um, I'm 3,000 miles away from them, but I come back like every three months, every four months, whatever, and we, we have our, 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 our time together. You yeah. Know? And so then my wishes have come true. You know, my dreams have come true. You know, I've watched, um, now you're going to make me cry, Paul. I've been trying to hold it together here, but I've watched you, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, I've known you since I can't remember not knowing you, but I've watched you go from somebody who was on the bottom Yeah. and to see the videos of you when you were first reunited with your kids, I just sat there and bawled because I I thought, you know, I was so proud of you. I've just seen you come from just the lowest point that anybody could be at and just seeing you work so hard and work your way back up. Like you said to now, you're just, just to see you with your kids and all the things you're doing with your life and you're helping so many other people. You know, I know you have a TikTok and you do like social media posts and you've gathered quite a following and to see you, everything that you've been through and, and where you are now and how you're helping other people, it's just such a really a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to, to see, to see you and to be able to watch that journey. And I'm just so proud of you. Well, you know, there, you know, you hear people say um, that, uh, you know, you see someone's life on Facebook or on social media and it's like, well, everybody's life looks great on social media. Um, if you could live a day in my life, you would know that my life is way better than anything social media can produce. <laughs> I mean, um, on my way back from North Carolina, um, I passed a, um, a couple days ago, I passed a, a little ministry uh, van that was broke down on the side of the road. And it turned out to be a, a group of little Mexican families that were traveling uh, from like a little church situation, right? They were broke down. And I helped them out. And the pastor said, you know, I want to pray for you so that you'll have, you know, the things that, that you desire in your life. And I said, Pastor, I said, you can pray for me. I said, but it's, it's going to be hard to for God to give me any more than he's already given me right now. It's like it, there's there's so much that is so good in my life today that um, it is it's not unbelievable anymore. It really just seems like each day I wake up and and I begin to experience what is a new life for me. Um, one step at a time, one moment at a time, I, I know that things are going to be the way that they were the day before, which was perfect and beautiful, um, which is a, a, a humongous juxtaposition from the way that my life was previously. The way it was before was I would wake up and I would have a warm, open bottle of Chardonnay would be my my breakfast as I peeled myself off of a deflated air mattress and smoked um, whatever kind of leftover, you know, cigarette butt that I could find and walk barefoot uh, a mile to my drug dealer's house um, so that I could scam some dope off of her. 
that was that was my one of my rock bottoms right i've got a handful of them but that was one of them that was like that's not putting any fluff on it that was just that's the way i remember waking up that way and when i there's from time to time i i you know i'm an alcoholic right i'm an addict and you 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 have this euphoric recall of like what it was like to to have everything going for you have all your money have everything just right and and then have a drink and it's like oh yeah i'm adding to it i'm making everything just that much better so every now and then you'll have that euphoric recall of what it's like to have a drink and i and then i think yeah it might be uh euphoric for a moment but then i just remember that total incomprehensible demoralization that comes along with it that is the deflated air mattress and the warm chardonnay Mm -hmm. and the barefoot walk to the drug dealer's house you know um so Mm -hmm. you know and i don't and i like for me i you know i i all that time i was away from my kids i look at it now i wouldn't want a person like i was to be around them right I, i mean i wouldn't dare let my kids be in the presence of something like that for a moment and i was fighting so hard to be in their lives. And your brother told me something um, when when I was right kind of on the crux of losing them. He said, Paul, what if it is the best thing for your kids to be out of your life, right? What if, what if this is, you know, a season of your life that you need to go and do something with yourself so that you can be a positive father, be a healthy father? And I was like, I just, I didn't want to hear it. I was like, there's, there's no way I can keep tricking everybody. But he knew me, you know, he yeah. knew me very well. And you think you're fooling everybody, but you're not, you know, you're not. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, I could see how you, you would automatically think, how could my kids being out of my life be a good thing for me? But ultimately that's what it took for you to get to the place that you are now. So really it was a blessing in disguise for you to be able to find hope again and to to be able to find recovery and work the program and I think it's such a a beautiful testimony of how when you take the first step God will meet you there yeah and he won't leave you he won't forsake you you know but you have to you have to kind of take that first step and and give him the opportunity you have to do the work before we started recording yeah. we were saying uh Paul you made the statement that People said that do the work and you didn't understand what that meant, but you know, just putting your, uh, works, you know, in, into action and, and doing the work that it requires and you did it. Yeah. That's to do the work. Um, and I'll, you know, my sister said that to me, uh, about a year before, um, I got sober. She said, Paul, or I cannot be in your life any longer. Um, and I will not be in your life until you get sober and until you do the work. And I was afraid of that. I thought that sounds terrible work. What is this work? It sounds like so much the work. And, um, it wasn't until I was on a beach in orange County and I was hearing these people at 12 step meetings talking about, I've been doing the work and it dawned on me. There's that work. I want to get a hold of that. Work. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. <laughs> so I, I started to do that work and you know, and you think about it as a drug addict and as an alcoholic, it seems so impossible, right? Like to, to get sober, first of all, just to go 24 hours seems impossible. But then, you know, you get past that, um, that little phase of, of craving the drug, right? And then you start to find out the whole purpose and the whole reason that you were on drugs and you were using drugs and alcohol had very little to do with the substance and had everything to do with how you were, how, how you, 
had developed as a human being, you know, yeah. your trauma, your whatever. And, um, and then you find out all the people that you resented and that you were so angry at, you really were the cause of all the things that you were angry at them about, right? Like yeah. I was angry at wow. the ex-wife. Why? Well, how could she take my kids? That What a terrible person. It was like, how could she not take my kids? You know, I was angry at the church. Like, how could they support my, my wife well, and help her, you know, get a lawyer? And how could they not, you know? And I mean, I would support anyone who would be taking that terrible, you know, blob of a human being out of my kids' lives. And so then, like you said earlier, the worst thing that could have happened as a father was that I would that I would lose my kids. But uh, there's a quote in um, a book that I, you know, I, I abide by in many ways of my life. It says that pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth. And what that means to me is, is I look at the pain that the two years of not hearing the kids' voices that I kept, I kept telling myself, if I just keep moving forward, if I keep making incremental changes, if I keep losing my resentments, if I keep um, building myself up, I will be the father that they need at the moment that they need me. And that moment will, will bring them to me and it will bring me to them. And that moment came. And, and, you know, it seemed like it never would. It seemed, you know, it, it seemed like it was impossible to dream that it would happen, but it did. And so now, um, and real quick, um, when we were in Outer Banks uh, just a few weeks ago, or a, few, or a week ago, uh, our very first little, so we stepped out on the beach, we got out to the ocean, and the riptide carried me and my daughter Emily out way out into the ocean and we're out there we're swimming for our lives at this point and mm. she's saying dad i don't want to die and i'm thinking my god this is what is this what is going on and i'm and i'm i'm freaking out i'm scared and uh and i'm trying to stay calm she's like pushing me under the water trying to hold on to me and dad i can't swim any longer and um and i'm thinking my god what have i done like i brought my kids to the ocean and now we're gonna just drown out here mm. and all of a sudden I realized that my higher power that brought me from the depths of drug addiction, that brought me from homelessness, that gave me what I had all the way up to that moment was very real in that moment and that he was there. And then if I just spoke to him, that I would come out of that water and that she would come out. So I prayed. I said, God, bring us out of here safe give us some relief. And this man waded out onto a sandbar because the, the riptide was so strong, he wasn't going to come out there. He, yeah. and he came out and he said, help is on the way. And he was waiting. And Emily, she doesn't, she can't see without her glasses. And I kept telling her, there's that, he's out there. You see him? And she, no, I can't see him. I'm going to die, dad. I'm going to die. Aww. But I knew, I knew, I thought if God brought me out of, of all the things that he's brought me out of, then he's going to spare me right now. And I mean, it was a life and death situation. I was literally, when the lifeguards got to us and gave us the little buoy that they give you, all of my strength just went out of me. And like she, the, uh, my lifeguard was bringing me back to shore and Emily's was bringing her back to shore. And so we get up to where you can like stand up and the lady's still dragging me and she's like, you can stand up now. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm so dumb, you know, but I stood up and, um, and we were alive and we had a beautiful vacation together. But all day that day, I kept thinking about what, what it could have been like, right? And right. what it would have been like to have lost my, if I would have died or if Emily would have been lost, you know, how terrible it would have been. But I, I, I kept coming back to the fact that I know that my higher power is so very real and is, is there to be real in my life personally and individually. And, 
Um, if I could say anything to wrap up anything that I would have to say, that I'd have to, it all is my higher power. And it all is for me as a father in recovery is the 12 steps of the program that I work. Um, and, and giving it to others um, is, is part of, of how I live my life. Uh, I have a little friend uh, named Connor who's a heroin addict um, that I got through the 12 steps recently, and he's sober. Um, and his friend died in his arms right before he came to me. And he said, Paul, I don't want to die like that. And, um, and I thought, well, man, I know how not to die. You know, yeah. And uh, as an addict and alcoholic, it's to work a program. You know, so if I could say anything to your listeners out there, uh, I feel like that if there's a father that is in addiction, is in alcoholism, that can't get free, do the work. It's not that hard. It's not impossible to do the work. It may be the embarrassing step of going to rehab, right? It may be. Um, you know, going to an AA meeting or, or going to an NA meeting, going to a 12-step meeting of some kind, whatever it is, you know, but uh, you can do it if you just will do the work. So what would you say um, to them like as a first, like you said, there is a dad or, or a mom or anybody out yeah. there who's struggling with addiction and they know they have a problem, but they don't really know how to get help because like you said, you, you got to a point but you didn't really know how to get into rehab, which I think is such a really sad thing because you're an extremely intelligent person. I couldn't make but, a phone call. I mean, but, I could, but the rehab people were like, we got to hang up on you. We can't, we'll, we'll talk to you another time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you yeah. Know? So sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 it's yeah. fine. I just, it, it's, I, I think it is hard for a lot of people if they've, if they, they don't know how to reach out and get help. They yeah. don't really know what that first step is to like, how to get into rehab or, yeah. you know, what, what would you say to them? What, what would be the first step? Somebody who's really struggling to get, to get help. Well, you know, it really, each person is, is, uh, an individual, right? Yeah. Some people don't want to, or don't need rehab quote unquote, but yeah. I'd say for me, um, that it was, it was everything I needed to go to a treatment center. Um, because, all of the things that you think that you're holding up, you know, it's like the little, the, like little character that's got all the plates on, you know, that they're holding up, trying to keep everything together. Yeah. You know, all that stuff's going to fall eventually. So why not drop it all? You know, why not say, look, I am, uh, I'm incapable because everyone around you really already knows you're incapable, um, and you're trying to pretend really only for yourself and for your own ego that you're capable. If you just give up, surrender is really the beginning of, of the change. Um, you know, it's when you say, I can't do it. I can't. When you keep saying, I can, I can, you know, I can drink, um, uh, you know, if I only have one drink and then you end up, you know, in, in Tijuana, the, in the in Tijuana <laughs> jail, right? Yeah, uh, you know, and so then you know you keep telling yourself you can. I think the best thing to do is say I can't, and and find someone that you love. You're in my case, my mother saw my Facebook and said I'm going to help him get into rehab. Right? If he can't yeah. do it, I'm going to help him get there. Just reach out. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to just let it all out because everyone already knows that you're a disaster and you're just pretending for no reason. And yeah. once you let it go, once you check into a treatment center, um, you know, that first week is hell, you know, cause you're, you're craving your drug, you're craving your, and you're thinking about all the things that you left behind. You're thinking about all the people that are thinking, 
oh, he's a disaster. And there, you already were. You already were. Well, and you're probably thinking about all the things that are going to fall apart that were already falling apart. But in your mind, yeah. to let that go is probably really hard. Letting it go. Yeah. You know, when I got to California uh, to continue my treatment, I had a pair of Doc Martin boots, um, like a pair of swim shorts, uh, a pair of cargo shorts, and like three T-shirts to my name, and a cell phone that had no service. Um, wow. But I had I had 40 days sober um and i had an opportunity to work with 12-step recovery um programs right yeah and i'd say number one thing uh that you have to do uh or what worked for me was that i got involved in 12-step recovery um you know there are you're not alone when you think you're so unique oh i'm the only person that drinks myself into a stupor i'm the only person who's lost my kids i'm the only person who lives this way you're really not. You find out there are thousands and thousands of other people who are like you, but have recovered from what is a hopeless state of mind and body. Yeah. Yeah. I love the beauty of the fact that all of your lows and all of the places that you've been now in recovery, and it's it's like this, I believe this is the way it is in life, that God uses all the hard things that we go through so that we can turn around and help somebody else. That's right. And I love the fact that you are using, Christy mentioned your, your TikTok, that, that you document and you talk openly and no doubt are helping so many people. Um, tell us a little bit about how you're okay. using that so, platform so to help others. So hashtag recovered cactus. Okay. Um, so that's pretty easy to remember, recovered cactus. Um, so then with my TikTok, um, the reason that I started TikTok was in the, the time that I was um, cut off from the kids, I started to think of ways that I could at least put myself out there so that, that, that they would not feel hopeless, that maybe they could stumble upon my social media and find out that dad wasn't laying somewhere in a gutter while they were laying there, while they oh, were there yeah. hurt, right? Yeah. Um, so um, at 10 months sober, um, my fiance, I was working at her, her house in California, and her ex-husband came by. He was moving out of his uh, condo in Orange County, and he dropped off an entire liquor cabinet full of, full of booze, just like boxes of booze. And I kept passing this liquor every day as I was working, and I thought, I'm tired of seeing this. And I picked it up, and I was like, look, we're going to move this, Diana. And she was like, sure, whatever. So it sat there for a few days, and then I thought, he's not coming back for this booze. She's not going to drink it. What can I do with this? And I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to make a TikTok video, right? And I, ha I hadn't really had any success on TikTok or whatever. So I go out and I didn't have a, a corkscrew. I set up at the little outside kitchen and I get my drill and a screw and a pair of pliers. And I, and I say, hey, I'm Paul. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I have 10 months sober today and, um, and I'm going to celebrate. And so I, I put this screw down in the bottle and I uncork it and I make it look like I'm about to drink this bottle of wine. And then I dump it out into the sink. <laughs> well, that video got 3.7 million views wow. in just a matter of like two or three days. Wow. And uh, a, a guy reached out to me um, from Australia, just as for instance, I've had lots of people reach out to me, but this guy reached out to me and he said, how did you get sober? And I said, well, come to a Zoom meeting with me and I'll show you on, on uh, how I got sober. And he started coming to Zoom meetings with me. Uh, as far as I know, he has over a year sober now. But That's so awesome. He was, he was separated from his son, right? His son, um, he hadn't talked to his son in six months. Well, he said he called his son after he had about 
30 days sober. And, and his son asked him, how did you get sober? And he said, well, I was watching TikTok and I saw this guy dumping out alcohol and I couldn't figure out how could an alcoholic dump out booze. And he said, oh, you mean the guy with the long hair dumping out the red wine? So, <laughs> you were famous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so so I, I, I saved that message that he sent me because me and him became friends on Facebook. His name is uh, Gary. Um, we became friends on Facebook, and I, I saved his message. And when I was able to send that to my son Noah uh, to show him that I was helping people and reaching out and doing something with my life, I was I was able to sneak through a message or two here and there to the kids, and I sent that. And you know, they were afraid to talk to me, but it all changed. You know, but you know, I still I have you know my my TikTok DM is full of people like, how do you do it? And I and I try to direct people toward AA and I have people that check in with me like hey I've got 30 days now and hey I've got 60 days now and um and then like hey I relapsed and um and so then uh you know on that note I have helped at least five or six people get into treatment and there are two that I know of that have over a year sober now um that I personally like contacted the intake and said hey I've got this girl in Oregon um, my girl, Kristen, I'm going to give her a shout out because uh, she's got over a year sober now and I'm proud of her. Um, and I said, look, we got to get her, we got to get her some help. And, um, and she's sober now. Right. And my friend, Bobby Kay, um, I don't know. She probably shouldn't give people's last names. I don't know for their anonymity's sake. He's sober now. Right. He's, and he was a Marine, um, and he was just falling apart, you know, right. And I, but it's like when you get sober and when you see that it's possible, you have this overwhelming desire to just help others like you, you know, or at least I do. And I've been able to help a handful of people, you know, and I, I when I get back home, I'm, I, I determined um, when I get back to California, I want to go back to the detox that I first entered a little over two years ago and start working with some of those guys um, and helping those guys along the way. Because really, if you don't give it away, um, you can't keep it is what we say in uh some of the 12 step programs I'm part of. Yeah. But Such a love that. great love story. That. Yeah. You know, because I think you can't really reach into somebody's life and help them when they're struggling and when they're hitting those lows, unless you can't help them in the same way, I guess, unless you can say, I've been there. Let me tell you about being in Tijuana, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, with this, let me yeah. tell you about, you know, losing my kids. I think that's so powerful. We've talked about about that on here before. And we talk about that, Christy, you and Mm -hmm. I, about how some of the hardest times, you know, with you going through recovery, you know, we've been through divorces, we've had a lot of things happen. And to be able to turn around and look back and help somebody else through and, and use that to connect with someone and say, you can do it too, Mm -hmm. because look where I've been. And that, that works. Um, when you, when you can tell someone that, when you when you show them a picture and like this is me and they're like that's not you and yeah. your face is caved in and and your eyes are swollen you know and it's like uh like my before picture is is um it's uh, terrible it's terrible right and i've shown people that it's like that's that's what you do in recovery it's like look at this terrible picture of me <laughs> look at how yeah. ugly i am right because then you know, it's proof that you came out of it, you know? Um, yeah. Cause and, you're the picture of health today. Yeah. I mean, God you look that. great. Thank yeah. God for that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and that really in and of itself is, is just another thing you, you, you can use to help someone, you know? Um, because as addicts and alcoholics, we're stubborn. We want to believe that we have to stay stuck 
but we don't have to stay there. You know, you don't have to stay there. And, um, you know, it's like before I exited my drug and alcohol addiction, um, I became very um, outspoken on social media, as many people in complete um, misery do, right? They want everyone to know how miserable they are. And yeah. I made videos, I made TikTok posts, or not TikTok, but Facebook posts, you know, and all these different things. And it was like, I go back and I have these memories that will come up on my phone sometimes. And it's a, it's a video of me, you know, just looking terrible, right? Just like completely, you know, underweight, just, you know, face all sunk in, you know, uh, like right at the end, shaved head, you know, the, all of it. And, and I'd look at that person and I don't even know who he is anymore. Like that person doesn't exist. Right. And, and he could exist. Um, if I decided I wanted to, um, give up on everything that I do to live my life the way that I do. Mm -hmm. And it's not work anymore for me. You know, it's, it's just life is like on the way here. I did a zoom meeting on the way here and it was shared about my recovery to help someone else, you know, do to help myself really. Yeah. Um, you know, people think, you know, well, man, you're, you're two years sober. You still go to meetings every day. I, I go to at least two or three zoom meetings, um, throughout the week. And then I go to in-person in meetings. Uh, so I hit at least seven meetings, uh, every, every, you know, on the regular. Yeah. And I don't do that because I think, Oh God, I'm going to drink or I'm going to use drugs again. I do that because it's, it's, it's part of my life, man, to reach out, to help others. And also to share, um, my experience, strength and hope, you know, yeah. and, um, and to hear other people's stories, you know, uh, because as alco alcoholics and addicts, you, there's a, there's a, there are so many things that are similar, uh, about, about us that we, we think that we're unique and that we're the only one, but you find out that there is a whole group of people out there that are, that are just like you, um, that are making it through life, uh, and not just making it through, but are thriving, uh, in life because, you know, California is an expensive place to live. You know, yeah. I, I came there homeless, uh, with the exception of a sober living that I was allowed to stay at. And now I have a business there. Um, you know, I, I have countless friends and people I can just call on at any time and say, um, Hey, how's it going? You know, yeah. uh, you know, that, that like me that aren't like, <laughs> Oh God, it's Paul. I didn't mean to answer this, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's all a story of success when it comes to what has happened in my life since the moment I surrendered. And, uh, that surrender was a scary place. It was an ugly place. It was a deflated mattress. It was a warm bottle of Chardonnay and a cigarette butt, you know, yeah. but, um, uh, it was, it was a big change. It was also a Tijuana jail. Like I said, I got a handful of them, <laughs> yeah. a handful of rock bottoms, but yeah. Well, it's just so great now to see you, um, where you are now, like I said earlier, from where you've come from and to see you helping so many people, it's just such a, a great to see thing. You happy now, like now yeah. your videos are riding through California with the top down. Yeah. You did a gratitude video the other day, and I I cried over that one too. I could, oh. you know, Christy and I have just known you for so long, and and you know, witnessed a lot of this from a distance. And like sometimes I just cry when I see these videos where you're saying I'm going to meet my my kids, and the sun's on your face, and the wind's in yeah. your hair, and you're just you're happy and you're healthy and that yeah. just, you know, we're so proud of you and so, so happy for you. Yeah, from a homeless drug addict to um, riding to work every day in a convertible in California <laughs> is a big change, you know. 
and you have an awesome fiance. I have oh, not. Yes, I have to talk about Diane. Yes, I have not had the pleasure of meeting her yet, but I can't wait. I, know, I already love her because I know that she loves you, and I can tell that y'all are just so happy. And your little videos and just what I know of her, y'all are just have the cutest, sweetest love story. And yeah, I can tell just us tell. About, tell okay. us about like met, how you met how you met her at the Oceanside Pier in Oceanside, California. Um, and uh, this was on a Monday, and uh, it was September the 21st of 2019. I had 45 days uh, sober at that point, um, and I was a disaster of a person still. Um, I was still, you know, talked really fast. Uh, you know, I'd just come off of being a meth addict for two years. Um, I still kind of shaved head at that point, um, but she was friendly to me. And... Um, uh, she dropped me off at my sober living. It's this big, beautiful house in Oceanside. And I thought, well, this, this looks okay, but it, it doesn't make any sense. Why are you dropping a guy off? Why doesn't he have a car or whatever? We talked uh, that Tuesday on the phone a little bit. And I said, um, I, said I need to meet you and, and, and talk to you about some things. And uh, she took me down to the um, like a little parking lot at the ocean in, in Carlsbad. And um, and I said, I just want to tell you, um, I'm a recovering meth addict and alcoholic. Um, I just lost custody of my kids. Um, at the time, I had hepatitis C from using needles. Um, I don't have it any longer. I was able to go through treatment to get rid of that. And I just lay all this stuff out there. You know, I'm, I'm from Georgia. I'm not from California. That big, beautiful house you dropped me off at, that house is a house full of drug addicts just like me, yeah. right? Like this is, and like, so for probably a good 10 minutes, I'm just rattling off all of the worst things <laughs> of who I am. And I look over and- And, and she just stayed there. She's, 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 she's she kinda, was still there? Yeah, she was still in the car and she was kind of quiet. And I thought, well, there that goes. You know, that's the end of that. That was you know? probably really hard for you to, yeah. to. It was, but I just didn't want to be pretentious. Yeah. I didn't want yeah. to, like, how does a person meet someone and pretend not to be a drug addict, yeah. you know, and yeah. an alcoholic who landed in California, you know? Um, so I thought if I'm going to meet someone, um, I'm going to be honest and it was a new, it was a new concept for me being yeah. honest. Um, and so she, I said, well, what do you think? And she said, well, that's a lot to take in. And it was a lot to take in. And so the next day, uh, because I still didn't have cell service, I only had Wi-Fi, um, left my phone at the sober living house, uh, went to my little IOP class till about two o'clock and I uh, got back to the house and I thought, well, definitely will not be any messages from, from Diana on here. And uh, I got inside, got the phone out and there it was. She said to me, um, it was a lot to take in, but I have never seen anyone, uh, and I told her about my kids. She said, I've never seen anyone have so much love for their children the way that you do. And she said, I've never had anyone be so honest with me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to get to know you. And she did get to know me, right? She didn't just get to know the sober me because I relapsed um, and went to uh rehab in Cliffside, Malibu, and two and a half hours away from her house, she would drive up there every Sunday to come see me and in, in Malibu. Um, and then she saw the, the worst side of my really drinking and using again. It was when that, that, that Tijuana relapse happened, right? Yeah. But she didn't give up on me. And I knew that I had a, I knew I had something that was 
uh, something I could not lose, right? When, when, when I met Diana, when we, when we fell in love. And, um, and she has stood by me um, through every step of the way, like getting the kids back. She came back here with, with me because I didn't have a driver's license for over two years. So I yeah. needed someone to drive with me, be with me, you know, help me do all that kind of stuff. She came back with me to court, um, the, you know, to North Carolina to, you know, multiple times, just, you know, dropped everything and said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to stand by your side. And she has stood by me, uh, through the worst of, of really who I was. Like she got a crash course in that. And then, um, she's been with me since September 21st, 2019 and has been the love of my life. Right. And she told me later on when she said, I love you, which wasn't that long, like six weeks in, we, we, we were, we were, I love you's right. Aww. It took me a little while. Right. She said, I love you. And she said, I'm going to tell you this. And I, and, it, and I was afraid to say, I love you. Cause I, I had just gone through my divorce through, you know, a bad relationship with another individual. And I thought I can't be in another relationship that's real. There can't be such a thing that's, that there's actually a positive, healthy relationship. We've been together almost three years now, and we have barely had a crossword. And we've never raised our voice at one another. Um, and, you know, and that may sound bizarre, I don't know, but it, it is, um, for me, I love her and she loves me and it's unconditional. Yeah. Um, and we grow with one another. Right. I, I have grown so much being with Diana. She's an empath. You know, she's very empathetic um, and she feels the things that I go through. I can, yeah. you know, I can tell that she does. And I feel the things that she goes through. I think we were both married to kind of similar individuals um, and uh, being together now. It's like we are we were meant to be together yeah. as, as cliche as that sounds. We were definitely meant to be together um, because at what was the worst part of my life and became the most beautiful part of my life. She was there at the beginning of it and has been there with me through all of it. And I could go on and on about, um, about Diana, but my kids love her. Um, and she loves them. And she told me that the reason that she fell in love with me was because she saw how much I loved my children. And she thought if he could love me that way, then I'm sorry, I'm such a crybaby, <laughs> right? If he could love me that way, then that would be the ultimate love. Right. And I do love Diana that way. You know, she's, she's as, as close to me as, as, as what I love with all my heart, which is my kids. And I love her with all of my heart. And it's, um, you know, it's, she's gone to meetings with me. She's not an alcoholic or an addict of any kind, you know, I've never seen her drink except for one time I saw her sip a drink that her 18 year old daughter had just to be sure it didn't have alcohol in it. And it did, but, but it wasn't a big deal, you know, but so, you know, so yeah, so many beautiful things. Um, I could go Who would have thought Ben, you, you were so honest with her that day in the car and the thing that she she picked out liked about you was that you were that honest. Yeah. You know yeah. what a way to like see into what who you really were. You know and and look beyond what you were saying. I guess our song for the longest time was a song by uh, Pink Sweat uh, that's called uh, uh, Honesty, right? And uh, that defines our relationship. Is like we are honest with one another, um, and. Um, 
I can't think I can't think of anything more really that that that's that's more prevalent other than love is is honesty yeah. uh, like there's you know hey that you know the like wash the dishes why didn't you wash the dishes like oh because <laughs> I was being lazy you know whatever like like it's just it's we truly we truly do um, relate to one another in a, in a magical way well you know I think honesty is so important and I think that would probably save a lot of relationships oh, if yeah. people could just be more honest and be who they are because when you can see past every all of the bad that somebody's been through or all the bad that they've done and just see them and love them for who they are and you know just to be able to be honest with each other like that well and being truly honest with someone is true love to me you know there are certain things I think in relationships that there's just a few a handful of things to me that if we all abide by I say one thing Nevada and I talk about this if you take care of one thing, it takes care of a lot of other things. And honesty is one of those things. If you're honest with yourself and who you're with, that takes care of a multitude of other things that could interfere. True. Very true. And we don't really have time for things to interfere with us. You know, like if something comes up, we deal with it right then and there, you know? So then I'd have to say that that does hinge on honesty for real. Mm Well, thank you so much. I know that you've had a really busy plate since you've been back in Georgia and North Carolina. Yeah. You vacationed. You've been up to see your mom and sister. And yeah. you've been. I know you've helped her do some work in her kitchen. And uh, yeah, you've, I was, you've I was been super busy. until 10 o'clock last night. <laughs> oh, I, was wow. like, I was like, Mom, i got to go see Christy and Beth tomorrow. <laughs> like, and, like, So we got it done. And, yeah. Um, and, and uh, yeah, and I'll be back in September uh, to to do some more. So uh, it's been it's been great seeing you guys. Uh, it's really a beautiful thing to to be part of this program. Uh, I have listened intently to all of your programs, um, and there seems to be a theme, which is uh, Jamie Tall was amazing. Hashtag Jamie Tall. We got to put her out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And your your um, RBT or CBT therapist. Um, that was on here. DBT. 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 Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of B's and T's in therapy, yeah. right? Uh, she was great. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to look into her book. Yeah. Um, but that, the theme has been, um, just like, uh, like a resounding, like mental health, um, happiness. And with me and Jamie, it's been recovery from drugs and alcohol. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a phenomenal facet to, to, uh, to explore. And I'm happy well, to be part of it. I'm, I'm so, like I said earlier, so happy that you could, that you took the time to, to come be with us, you know, and speaking of recovery, you know, I mean, that's super close to our heart because our brother mm-hmm. is in recovery yeah. and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. And that was after he, you know, after he got into recovery, it was like meeting him for the first time because you know, when somebody is in that place and then they get through it and they actually become who they were really supposed to be, it's it's just like meeting them for the first time. And like Beth and I have laughed because we're like, her brother is so awesome. You know, he's such a, a cool person. And I feel the same way by you seeing you guys go through that and then finding yourself and who you were really meant to be is just such a such a great thing and I thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today mm-hmm. I'm so excited and being authentic to you share know, the, the name of our podcast is life, life authentic and yeah. Paul joked when I asked him to be on the podcast and it's like well I'm just gonna be like this and like this and we're yeah. like those are our favorite kind of guests yes. like just laying just it all out there are. and being who you are I love you guys thanks for having me and again, it's Recovered Cactus, right? Hashtag yes. Recovered Cactus. Recovered Cactus. Look yes. them up, y'all. Go check them out. All right. Thank you, Paul. Bye.